It's Dear Instructional Designer, Episode 55. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Dear Instructional Designer, the show about the instructional design journey. I'm your host, Kristen Anthony. This season, we are concentrating on the journey into freelancing as an instructional designer. This episode, I'm here with Wes Atkinson, co-founder and lead technical consultant at Aptier Limited, the makers of Evolve Authoring Tool and Bloom LMS. Wes, you want to say hi? Oh, hi, yeah. So we are going to keep with the theme about the freelancing journey, but with a bit of a twist from the perspective of a vendor, which is super awesome. Vendors get a lot of flack when we talk or complain, and they're at all of these conferences and events. So they talk to a lot of ideas, and I'm really excited to be hearing things from this perspective. To start off, Wes, can you tell me a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur and how you got into this specific line of work? Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, so I didn't realize I was, I was one of your first vendors. I'll try not to disappoint everyone and, and begin by plugging my products. I'm Wes Atkinson. My, my background has been for the last 14 years in IT. And uh, I actually entered into the e-learning space around four years ago when my, uh, my co-founder had an idea. And, and I said, well, that sounds like a business. And then we, we went for it. And he, he actually, his background was, was e-learning. And, and he worked as a software developer at Kineo. So they're a company in the UK. That's Daryl Headley. And he's one of the founding developers on the ADAPT framework, which is used a lot in e-learning. So yeah, really, it started out from there. We got into it and we we started by trying to write an LMS and then we realized that no one wanted to buy an LMS from two people. So uh, we had to look at how we could earn money very quickly and found the authoring space. And we started seeing a lot of different different things in that, that there was definitely a demand for a new type of authoring tool, one that was you know, closely aligned to the rest of the web uh, rather than the traditional e-learning style. And that's kind of how we got into it. And obviously the price was, was important there. So we, we were hoping to create something that was low cost, but high end. So a question I sort of have since you guys are across the pond, at least for me, I use Adapt, right? And I, I know that Articulate has sort of just now come out with Rise in their sort of third version. But it seems like over in the UK, as you as you described it, sort of the authoring tool that aligns with the way the web looks has been around and been used for a little bit longer. Would, would you say that was true? Like what sorts of authoring tools do you find people using in the UK? Yeah, all sorts. There is always a strong um, articulate storyline following. Same for uh, Captivate. I, I would, I'd be honest, less less Captivate these days. So in the end of 2014, start 2015, there was there was as much Captivate as there was Articulate talk that I heard, but it's, it's really dropped off, I found, which is interesting. Rise is, is coming up a lot as well. There, there is a real mix that, that I see. Some are better for freelancers and um, some are not. From your perspective, what are some of the challenges that you see facing instructional design freelancers? Pools aside, obviously the, the, the question a lot of freelancers ask themselves is where's my next gig going to come from? Especially if they're starting out in that space, where, where am I going to get my work from? A lot of the time, some, some of the clients are really cool and they'll, they'll give you a license for their authoring tool that they're using. Some might be even more open-minded and, and say, well, why don't you suggest to us what we should use? But I think some of the challenges are obviously not always having licenses to some of these products. Yes, yeah, so, so it might be that you're a good instructional designer, but you may not have dealt with that product before. So you have to 
almost enter the, the organization and learn it. It's really interesting. So some challenge, challenges are, where am I going to get my next job from? Licensing costs of tools. And, you know, you can only really be an expert in, in two or three. I know some people are expert in more, but in order to do that, you have to be using the tool at, on the job a lot. So I think, yeah, getting access to, to some of the tools as well and, and the general cost of them. Evolve very specifically. You guys have a pricing structure that is sort of geared towards people who are individual contributors as well as the enterprise. And I was just wondering, how did you guys move that direction? Because so many authoring tools are, for so many of us, it's, it's really astronomical costs. Once you leave that organization, your portfolio is still with them. So the course that you create and the work that you've done is left at that organization. You haven't got it in your tool to, to carry on using because you probably can't afford to carry on. What we've tried to do with with freelance is, is try and tackle those challenges. And, you know, one of the main ones is pricing. It is expensive. So what we do is we offer like a heavily discounted version of Evolve with a high amount of space. So even if your client doesn't go with Evolve and they're going with Storyline or something like that, you still got access to Evolve So for your next project. So we're not just thinking about your immediate project and you, you're doing work in it now and, and the idea. But it's like we're always helping you on your next project. So it might be that you're using Storyline for this one. But on your next project, you're ready to use something else. And likewise, Evolve at that cost means you can still afford to go with another tool as well. So you can have like those two or three products in your back pocket. To sort of switch gears, I read the LinkedIn article that you wrote, product, service, cash, and profit in that order, where you share your experience of learning to focus on product and service as the means to cash and profit instead of the other way around. And I was wondering, how do you find that sort of mindset and road to, to success playing out or not playing out with the instructional design freelancers that you've met? I think some of them, they get it and they love it. And I think it, it really, there, there are types of instructional designers that just don't don't get or like Evolve, and that's fine. They're not every tool is for everyone but the ones that do get it like they they love the fact that we're, we're on product because a lot of authoring tools they're only interested in enterprise fair enough freelancers isn't going to generate their their high-end cash it's the enterprise that do whereas for us we, we we don't really mind if you're from enterprise or if you're a freelancer if you've got a good idea then i'm interested in what you've got to say so we try and triage our, our enhancements and requests likewise we have a, a team of vip freelancers that we talk to and and they say hey look evolve's doing a good job of this but if you put this in this means i'm going to develop 100 courses for my client 10 times quicker if i've got this feature in there so that'll be all or like i've seen all this stuff that you've got in evolve but in storyline there's a really good feature that does this it'd be even better if you had something similar or it meets the same objective in evolve so we, we try and listen to people in there on the job that has to do this at scale or do this on mass we listen to you and that's the idea behind it that we can then help you do things quicker so by focusing on that if these instructional uh, instructional designers as freelancers are going out to all these different organizations and they're all saying similar things and we give them a tool to use it and that's only a good thing because it generates that service eventually when they move on to a different client the other clients using evolve that they that they left and then that's eventually how the the cash and the profit flow through as you said, you're always balancing sort of, I would like to be doing sort of my best work instead of just work that people tell me to do. And how do, how do you find that maybe instructional designers that you've met are living that out or not living that out? It really depends on the type of instructional designer. So there's people always wondering when their next job's going to come from. A lot of them might have two or three lined up. So the people that have been in this industry a while have got people 
almost saying, well, when you're free, let us know rather than him having to hunt that out. So it really depends. Obviously, that's a position that a lot of people like to be in. And it took us a year and a bit to get to the point where we could say, right, actually, because I've always had the mindset of product, service, cash, profit in that order. But sometimes you need to get the cash in in order to, to open the door the next day, you know, <laughs> to, to get in. So so it is occasionally doing that job that you don't want to do or, or you're, you're told to develop 10 courses in this specific way as an instructional designer and that's how you got to do them and the creativity might be limited there's always that thing of if if you've got that project where you are allowed to spend time focusing on the product focusing on the ux and the ui not just about what the stakeholders want and and they give you that level of freedom obviously we we want to empower you in order to do that so it's a real mix and we do get some quite demanding instructional designers that will say what my client has specifically asked for this and you must do it and we often will offer or suggest ways that we've seen work in the past other instructional designers may be like that's that's what they're asking you to do but what is the requirement behind that you've given me the the solution that you would like or they would like but what's the actual requirement and then when you unpick it slightly and and help them out and you're helping yourself out actually they don't need five things that they click on they actually just need a score to be passed here or the learner to find out or, or prove that they've learned this particular bit of information for example it's about unpicking it so that it does give you more time on the product rather than just focusing on the end solution. It's that sort of age-old consulting skill set where you have to go in and ask a bunch of questions. Yeah, you know, it would be nice if, you know, instructional designer was just there to, to do the storyboard and maybe build out a little bit. But you're so much more than that because you've got to do that consulting part. You've got to do that informative part. You've got to bring your experience. So there's all those different sides that I guess you're paying that higher price for a freelancer, but you're kind of expected to bring all of that. One question that just sort of popped up for me was, do you all know how people or if people are sort of using courses and and maybe even specifically courses made and evolved sort of on mobile devices? How is that working out for you? Because one of one of the sort of tensions that I think happens is that from my perspective, there there's mobile friendly, you know, or mobile first, which is great. But at the same time, I sort of think who takes courses on mobile you look you look at youtube on mobile you do just in time learning on mobile so i'm just sort of wondering how how has that been working out i think it's a real mix a real mix so the thing is with evolve or adapt or or any of those type of framework tools is is that that you've got almost like a rigid structure of this is how you can design and we're gonna almost guarantee it will be device responsive so regardless whether it's a mobile or a tablet or a low resolution desktop device so when i say specifically when people say well i don't necessarily need your tool for mobile it was like ah but if you've got somebody with an accessibility need that has a very very low resolution can you guarantee your content's going to fit on that device often people People think mobile when they think responsive, but actually it's about the device responsiveness, not just about the mobile. So I guess because of how we've marketed ourselves and how we've worked and with our clients, a lot of external solutions are made through Evolve, like the Google Academy for Ads, for example. If you search for that on Google, it's delivered through a different LMS, but it's Evolve content. And so it was almost mandatory. You know, 50% of their usage might be on mobile, for example. You, you just never know. So, And it was the first time last year where mobile devices actually overtook desktop devices in terms of usage on some of the most popular websites in the world. Internally, yeah, very. if it's a lockdown enterprise environment, they're unlikely to be using mobile. But it's having that flexibility to, to know that if somebody said, a stakeholder said tomorrow, actually, we're going to make this available outside the organization, you don't have to change a thing. They're just going to work. What about accessibility? What are you guys sort of seeing in terms of designing for accessibility, people uh, making sure that the things that they make are accessible to as many people as possible? Something happened in e-learning. It's almost like they, they, they woke up 
the, in the last year because I myself don't do a lot of, of RFPs or a lot of RFQs in terms of the, the paperwork that comes through and says, right, we want an e-learning solution built for us and we've, we've got a massive budget and we need it to do this. But suddenly a year ago, accessibility AA in the UK or, or, or section 508 in the US, I think you call it, that was kind of positioned in there and it almost found its way into every single one as a requirement. And a lot of tools didn't have it. We added it into Evolve quite a few months ago now and we were nearly there, but we, we made the jump and we, we said to a few instructional designers and, and people that we knew, we want you to test our tool and make sure it's accessible. You're building accessible content every day, working with people with accessibility needs. So can you test it? And that's that's how we did it. But you just never know. It's like mobile. You never know when someone is going to have that need for accessible content. And, and I'll give you an example. In a job I worked in before I started Appeteer, suddenly they, they, they said a visual impaired person, blind person has just started a new organization. And the CRM that they're using, they're wondering how they how they use it with a screen reader. Now, it just so happened that the, screen, uh, the CRM didn't work with a screen reader so it was an absolute disaster and for you know three months before they made it work they had somebody reading out what was on screen to this person and i remember somebody saying you know probably with slightly silver hair why weren't we told that someone with visual impairment was starting the company and starting at the company you know that's completely wrong it's also illegal you can't discriminate in the uk i don't know about other parts of the world but you definitely can't discriminate and so they, of course, wouldn't have told anybody they were visually impaired. And why should they? It should just work in that way. So my opinion is quite opinionated in the sense of everything should work, regardless of how you are as a person or what your needs are as a person that might be slightly different to somebody else's. So I, if I see a product that isn't accessible, you know, everyone's saying mobile first, I'm more accessibility first. So I know as, as a freelancer, accessibility, I feel like, is something that I bring up. It's something that people are happy to ignore still. Definitely some some organizations, they'd never say it openly, but under the radar, I almost see it as optional. And um, for me, it isn't. But the thing is, just getting a tool that will help you create accessible content is the first step. There's a there's a mindset shift that you have to take. So for example, texting somebody with an emoji, as in a text emoji, so like the wink with a bracket at the end, your screen will read that verbatim. So it will say, you know, co- semicolon, dash, open bracket, for example. So even the way you type, even the way that you're structuring your content, you have to think about how will a screen reader read this? How will someone interpret this that necessarily isn't isn't human and, and is having to rely on this device to convey what the content's doing? So yeah, just getting the tool to, to work is is it's just the first step. Part of it, like you said, is is the tool itself, but part of it is sort of picking and choosing and designing from the beginning things that are accessible. So how how do you see that sort of playing out? While a lot of this is on on the person creating the content, I think there's more that tools could be doing. And, you know, the technology is is helping in in that respect. So a good example is when somebody is using text on a graphic, there is no way a screen reader is going to get that, not not for a good couple of years. If I create a MCQ, so a multiple choice question, which has three answers, and I haven't marked any of them correct, Evolve will pop up and say, hey, you've, you've created a question that no one can get right. Are you sure this is what you wanted to do? So it's that little kind of information thing. And, and it almost feels like the, the next step is to say, hey, you've just created some content that won't necessarily be available to, to people with visual impairment. Is this what you meant to do? And it's, it's kind of almost them having to sign off. They're not catering for that need. In, in the same way as if you delete something and it, it makes you type the word delete. <laughs> it's, it's like you're, you're enforcing the, are you sure? you want to do this are you aware what you've done it's kind of placing that responsibility within the tool to, to make sure it's reminding people of that but obviously there's always the onus on on people that create the content 
one of the main things that newbie IDs and newbie freelancers are always concerned about is which tool should I use? How do I serve up portfolio projects since I don't have an LMS? Do you hear this question from IDs and sort of how do they overcome it? And are job advertisements that you see, do they do they mention one specific tool? Less so much now, yeah. So there is always one like you must use Articulate, you must do this. And we, we, we've had the occasional customer saying, hey, I need to cancel my subscription for three months or put it on hold because I've been told I can't use this tool. There is that happening. There's not a lot you can do about that. You know, being a freelancer, it depends on the organization, but you never fully get the context of, of why you've been asked to do something in, in a way, unless you're really good at asking. And so for, for us, we, we kind of make it very, very clear that we're a forward-facing tool. We're always looking for newer browsers in terms of our compatibility. So, for example, Internet Explorer 8, et cetera, is, is not something we do. Internet Explorer 11 upwards might be. We would always say, right, before you even get to using the, the tool, look at what your, your customer or organization is, is going to be using. So if they need things like a lower browser version or if they're not necessarily going to use mobile, and, and it's like, how fast can I develop if I use that tool? What's the repeatability? So if, if I need to do three courses that aren't mobile, maybe I would use something like Storyline. If I want to do 100 courses and there's reuse of assets and they've all got the same branding and stuff, maybe I might use a tool like Evolve. So it's, it's that kind of direction is, is looking at the overall, where, where is this going to be used? What is the end result? And how flexible does it need to be? And, and so sometimes I would even challenge the client or say, right, I've actually worked in this tool. I'd be very suitable for this job. But have you considered using this tool? Is there any reason? So I'd, I'd always go in with a suggestion. And from what I've seen and, and, and certain employees, when I've used freelancers, I'm always open to ideas as well. They'll always, you always have to put some sort of job description out there, but it's like you're always open to, to interpretation and ideas. I've found that to be the case in, in some of my clients. There can be a tension between, you know, people who want to use the tools that they're sort of familiar with, which, which makes sense. And as a freelancer, me maybe suggesting some other tools that might make sense things like that and that, that really depends a lot on the client yeah it's, it's really yeah it's kind of, clients can be be quite defensive about this sort of thing like if i if i if i got 20 licenses in one tool they obviously are going to want you to that use that tool we actually had a, a client ask us are you paying commission to your freelancers to, to, to for us to use evolve and i was like no no we never pay commission to anyone so it was almost that level of suspicion like why do people keep recommending you wow i must be doing something right in in some cases <laughs> As a vendor, what might be some of your tips or recommendations for people who are just getting started in freelancer if they're thinking about building their portfolio or investing in a tool? In this world, it's, it's harder to just to start out on your own without help. When when I started Appetit, I had help in terms of a peer network that I could go to. You know, we've got our first project and on our first customer through, you know, just purely being recommended. You guys have got a tool that's going to be really, really good and that sort of thing. So so it's kind of try and use your network as much as possible is, is always a bit of a high level recommendation there. But if you're just starting up and you want to be building a portfolio and things like that, you've got to have a tool that you can afford to do that with. Your first couple of jobs are always going to come from recommendations. There are some great companies now, and I'm, I'm going to call one out. So Jampan, for example, they're a really great marketplace. So they match clients to to great instructional designers and freelancers. So if you register with them and say, look, I'm in this location or I'm available to work remotely in, in this time zone and I've got these skills, then they'll help match you as well. And the great thing about Jampan is, is that you also hold a number of licenses to some products. And we have a good deal if, if you're working with Jampan that you can get access to some of these tools as well to practice. 
So you know, finding an organization or peers and things like that where you can work with. I know a, I know a freelance instructional designer shares an office with uh, another another four, and they're not looking to nick each other's clients, but they, they use it to share ideas and, and how they can help each other out. So co-working is a, is a big, big recommendation of mine. That's how we started as well. Is that sort of really big where you are? Oh, you mean co-working? Yeah, yeah. I guess for us, that's quite that's quite a high-end place to, to go and, and work with WeWork. But there, there are like real local companies that will rent a desk or these people that were startups four years ago, but they've got a couple of spare desks that they can rent out and that sort of thing. It's that kind of that kind of stuff. And, and it's even working out of a cafe all day. There's a really good Twitter group. I don't I don't think they're in the US, but they're certainly in the UK called L&D Cowork. So these guys uh, meet up in cafes and they uh, have all over the UK little hubs of L&D Cowork and, and they meet and you can just work with them. And if you're working in the L&D space, just come down and have a chat with them. They might not be all instructional designers. They might be tutors trainers or, or lecturers and that sort of thing but they signed on to this thing and say right in brighton or in in the uk at this date we're going to be meeting in this cafe come and work with us and that's kind of how how you can pick up and network and get those conversations going i have not heard of anything quite like that there you know there are people who have met on twitter and sort of create their own local thing but nothing like that that's really cool yeah, so it's just looking out for groups like that, really, and joining as many LinkedIn groups and instructional design as possible and just really network. That's what got us off the ground, really. And the thing is, everyone's so happy to help as well. So, Wes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we wrap up, could you tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, I love the chance. <laughs> You can get us on www.evolveauthoring.com. We're also Evolve Authoring on Twitter. So the, the obviously I'm from a company called Appeteer, but our product is, is Evolve. And you've also got bloomplatform.com and uh, Bloom Talks on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Wes is going to be back with us next episode. This episode, as you heard, we tried to talk a lot about freelancing challenges. Next episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Evolve and Bloom specifically and how those tools can help you as a freelancer. Because as we've been talking about sort of the whole show today, it can be difficult to sort of pay for your own tool as a freelancer if you don't have some organization paying for it. And Evolve is one tool in your toolbox that you'll probably want to explore. I'm definitely excited to explore it. So we will be back with Wes next time. Thanks so much for listening and take care. No, thank you, everyone.